welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we extend the reign of the Secret Empire, count down to the Doomsday Clock, find out what happened to the button, and guard the galaxy a second time. Stay tuned for all this and more! Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. I am David Luzader and over there is the old man... Nick Shermooksness. Nick, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, I'm happy to be here on my birthday. And uh, I'm happy to be one year older. Ripe old age one of year. 72. Yes. Yep. Yep. And uh, I know David stopped learning how to do math decades ago, but I actually am 29. I don't understand what that is. A math or the fact that I'm 29. 29. That is a, a as a number does not make sense to me. It's like wedged in between 28 and 30. It gets overlooked all the time. Oh wait, wait! I'm not turning 30 this year. No, have, you're not. I have no, more time. You're, no, you're jumping from 28 to dead. <laughs> we can only be so lucky. Uh but Nick, you know, I, I, how how was your birthday? Uh it was good. I. I, what did I do? I went kayaking, went kayaking with my father, yeah. which was which was nice. And then I met up with a couple of friends and got a uh, burger, and uh, was gonna go bowling. But when we showed up there, they're like, "Oh, there's a two hour away. There's a bunch of parties going on." I'm Ew. like, first off, the only party that matters is mine, and you done screwed up." I didn't say that. I was very nice to them. I walked <laughs> out. Um, but yeah, and then I came here and said, "You know what is the best way to cap off a birthday?" Is it's unfortunately this podcast. Aw, now Nick, I know. I know you and I are pretty pretty rough on each other uh, regularly, sometimes jokingly, but often more often than not seriously. Uh, but I do mostly seriously. Mostly yeah. seriously. Uh, but I do want to say that you are. Uh, you know, you you mean a lot to me. You, I care about you deeply as a human being, and I'm I'm really glad that not only are we doing this podcast together, but that I just have you in my life in general to share thoughts with, and and you know to to have as a brother. Hmm. And that's uh, that's my nice thing. I'm gonna say for a year, you're a dipwad. Let's continue on. <laughs> Douche. <laughs> uh, well, in other news, with uh, I haven't David's- even. What, what, uh, what, I, haven't even, I haven't even hit yep, the news well, button yet. Oh, oh, fine. Um, yeah, okay, play it. And now here's the news. Our top story today. <laughs> After a disappointing summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. Uh, one thing I did want to mention uh, at the top of the show is if you're not following Gail Simone on Twitter, you should be because it is bananas and the greatest time I'm having in my life right now. Anyway, Nick, what news is going on? All right, David. So it turns out that Secret Empire, Marvel's latest uh, event, is getting another issue. Oh, boy. Because uh, people, people, everyone loves events. Like, I just want to, like, start there's no such thing as event fatigue people love them they're like marvel why are you taking an 18 month break like i can't get enough of these events that are going to change my life um so they're like you know you're right like we still need to commit to this whole 18 month thing but we're going to tack on another month of the event so that everyone's happy everyone wins event lovers win and those fake event fatiguers you know they have to suffer one more month um there's not a lot to say here other than no. if you're enjoying Secret Empire, hopefully they're able to keep that momentum all the way into the extra issue. A lot of times I feel like these events, and it feels like it happens a lot, when these events tack on another issue, it's almost not worth it. Like <laughs> it's just it's almost kind of like they they leave a lot of the like they might as well just do an epilogue issue, like actual like Secret Empire Omega, like the one that no right. one's gonna read. 
instead of like kind of having like an extra issue, a lot of time up. it's like they've already finished the conflict, like the climax hits in the issue before, and then it's just like everyone like, look at all this garbage from all our fighting. Like, mm-hmm. man, we really gotta be better next time. Yeah, I'm Captain America. <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. And they and they did say. Uh, we're not going to use the cosmic cube to simply reverse everything away. The stakes matter, maybe more than they ever have before. Bold words. We will see if there is truth to that. Um, my vote is that there uh, probably there's there's immediate stakes, long lasting stakes. I don't think so. Uh, but whatever Marvel's new status quo is for a few months, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Uh, but. I, I do agree with you that it always does feel like the extra issues tacked on are just like, okay, well, we had everything happen, but let's kind of just have people react to it or, like, let's summarize it up. And it would kind of be better if they did call it something like, yeah, like Secret Empire, uh, I don't even have Omega. Yeah, yeah, Omega, Secret a lot of Empire, times you look at it and you're thinking, but now maybe, see, the thing is it all comes down to when did they plan this extra issue? You know, how far into the initial run were they? That always, because, yeah. Because you feel like if you're tacking on another issue, how, like, okay, so this is now 10 issues, there were nine issues, which is already pretty long for an event. But how many issues were written and drawn when they decided to put on number 10? Because if number nine, like, because the problem is you could rewrite number nine a little bit so that it segues better than number 10 or, like, drag some stuff out. But it's possible that you might be disrupting the flow by having like if the first five, whatever issues are already in the can, so to speak, especially with Marvel's accelerated publishing, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just, it feels like sometimes it gets tacked on and you're like, the story's already, again, like I said before, hit its climax and then it's like, Oh yeah. And, and yeah. I feel like we keep hearing with these events like, okay, and there's going to be another issue. Uh, and yeah, it's always when there's like a couple issues deep already, so you know it's like they've they've already mapped it all out when they announce it. Like, all right, here's the story we're going to tell. Oh, by the way, we need a couple more issues to do that. And, and you know, like we're kind of ragging on Marvel, but it is cool that comics is an industry where that can happen. Uh, right. Where it's like if if you know they were trying to write, you know, uh, at the latest season of Flash they have to stick to the 22, 23 episodes they have. They can't be like, oh man, it'd be really great if we had like two more episodes to tell the story we're trying to tell. It's like they have right. to stick to that strict schedule. Like comics, it, there's that flexibility, which is you know pretty cool for storytelling purposes. And hopefully this is an instance where it's going to pay off. Obviously we're talking from past experience where it always hasn't, but you know we got to be optimistic. We do, we do, and you know, I say as someone, I haven't read this past week's issue yet, um, but I actually have enjoyed the first two, the both the zero issue, <laughs> and the first issue, good stuff. So I'm hoping that ultimately, the, like I said, the event can keep its momentum all the way into our next news story, David. Well, Marvel's not the only one with an event that's going to change everything. DC has announced their next event, and that is Doomsday Clock. Doomsday Clock. Doomsday Clock coming November 2017. We'll get a little bit more into what's leading into that later when we discuss uh, the button. But here is what Jeff Johns had to say. Uh, It's time. Last year, the DC Universe confronted the legacy of Watchmen in Rebirth, the way Watchmen confronted the legacy of superhero comics three decades ago. Thematically and metaphorically, there are there was no better choice than to use Dr. Manhattan. If you're going to have a conflict between optimism and pessimism, a battle between the very forces of hope and despair, you need to have someone who personifies the cynicism that has leaked into our hearts and also has the ability to affect the entire DCU. It's all paying off this November with Doomsday Clock, which, Nick, you pointed out, Doomsday Clock, DC... DC and their events do like to do stuff like that, and it always tickles me that they have their own little jokes. Um, but yeah, for those who haven't seen the the Doomsday Clock graphic, it is the Doomsday Clock from Watchmen that was counting down. Uh, but instead of a a twelve o'clock, we have Superman's shield. That this is mm-hmm. uh, so. This seems to be pointing towards a uh, a Superman Doctor Manhattan showdown. 
It's it, and apparently he's Jeff Johns has specifically said it is leading to a conflict between Superman, Doctor Manhattan. But with Doomsday, and we know that Doctor Doctor Oz, Doctor Oz, Mister Oz, he has a doctor. This guy, doc, obviously, Doctor Oz is better than Mister Oz. Um, he's got oh. more training. Does um, he? Don't worry. Um, but Mister Oz actually has Doomsday, the creature, in his prison or whatever it is where he's collecting people like Tim Drake. So it's interesting, and I. I, I don't remember if it was in this new story, maybe another one. I think he mentioned that, that Doomsday himself will actually play a role. So, I mean, I think we'll also get some more revelations as far as, like, what Mr. Oz's whole role is in all this. And it's obviously the unspoken sequel that is Ozzy Mendez from, from Watchmen. But uh, I just like the fact that we're getting some more Gary Frank artwork, especially mm-hmm. on Superman. Well, I wasn't a fan of how much they, like, totally played up the Christopher Reeves look and their original run. Uh, the, Gary Frank does draw a fantastic Superman and will definitely tell a very powerful story with this. Yeah, yeah. This is really exciting. And they have said uh, also in this event, like this is not going to be something that's going to put the entire DC universe on hold. You're not going to have to go buy Doomsday Clock, Green Arrow, Doomsday Clock, Aquaman. Like this is something that's going to have a big impact, but the story they're trying to tell is all going to be in Doomsday Clock. Um which, you know, talking about event fatigue is like a nice way of handling it. Uh, I do hope that this is leading to Superman uh, and Doctor... You know, we know Superman and Doctor Manhattan are going to face off against one another. But hopefully, you know, for it to be truly on equal grounds, you're going to have Superman stripping off, uh, you know, the, All the suit. Clothes. And it's, it's, like, it's just going to be naked, naked, Superman. naked Superman fighting naked Doctor Manhattan. It's the only way this can end. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's literally going to be a dick measuring contest. Well, oh man, that's going to be like because you know we we just assume that Superman has human anatomy, but we don't actually know. Like we don't know what's what's down there. He's an alien, right? I mean, apparently it was enough to you know impregnate Lois with Jonathan Kent, but I mean, who, who knows? knows? Who knows? We never, you know, this is. Look, comics are more family friendly. This show is borderline, so like we don't really know what happened there. Like there could be some weird, like Fortress of Solitude, artificial insemination going on. That this he like, he found a way to adapt yeah. his weird alien tentacle penis <laughs> for human copulation. He basically had to put like a test tube in space so that after he ejaculated, it shot like a rocket into right. the stratosphere, exactly. and that just happened to catch in the the container and they had to fly and get it it's why they only have one kid they've been together for like 50 years yeah lois is like i'm not doing that again (laughs) it was exhausting (laughs) to watch even yeah like well she didn't really have to like do much in the whole process but she was like oh boy yeah but you're gonna put that inside me like hell no it had to fly Um, close to the sun to get the yellow radiation lois jeez you said you wanted to have a kid it literally becomes super sperm. <laughs> and episode title. Uh, yep. Um, uh, this is actually pretty interesting. So the trailer for the next X-Men show um, called The Gifted was released. Um, and it was interesting. It is interesting. Uh, for those who did not see it, it seems to kind of be a runaways s runaway esque show uh i mean i guess not i guess there's like sort of a family element where you have a brother and sister discover their mutant powers and uh their dad oh you know not runaways not what i was thinking of uh heroes it has a very heroes vibe to it um where their dad works for like the government who tracks down mutants Mm-hmm. Uh, and they kind of like apparently team up with some other mutants to protect themselves. One thing I thought was really interesting is they mentioned in the trailer, first of all, they say the words X-Men, uh, which was surprising to me. They say the X-Men and the Brotherhood. We don't even know if they exist anymore, which was uh, fascinating. Which is interesting. So you're wondering like where, one, is this taking place in the movie timeline? Is it just making up? A, part of me kind of wants it to just make up its own thing, not be connected to anything. Just be a show where they use X Men 
terminology and features some familiar X-Men characters? Or is it going to take place in that window, like between the Westchester incident and Logan? Oh, I hadn't hadn't even considered that. Yeah. Um, Because you have people, like, I think Blink is one of the mutants that's running around with them. And, I mean, if you're following, like, the Days of Future Past timeline, like, even though, like, it's not the apocalyptic future anymore, Blink would still be of age. Mm-hmm. of you know sentinel fighting age you know that the age we all have to go through someday right right well um, mutants in mutant culture you you know you have uh an age where you first fight your first sentinel and either it kills you or you become a, a man slash woman slash <laughs> just an adult slash so a yeah I, of passage. Well, right mutants we can't really like say by gender because you could become like a weird gelatinous monster with your organs floating around inside of you <laughs> um so I'll say for the show, I like, and I can't think of his name, the, the guy's playing the dad. I, I like him on True Blood. Um, and Amy Acker, interestingly enough, I didn't oh, Amy like Acker, yeah. is the mom. And um, I didn't like her at first on the show Person of Interest. And I love Person of Interest, mostly for Fusco. That's a different, that's on my Fusco podcast. Um, Wait, what? Uh, there's a character named Lionel Fusco. He was uh, like started off as a dirty cop, and anyway, he's the best. Um, and you can find that on my Heck Yeah, I Love Fusco podcast. Um, but Amy Acker, like on that show, just like starts at first, like, oh, okay, and then you're like, okay, you're really annoying. But in at least the latest season, that I, uh, the latest season of the show, but the I think I'm on season four, they they kind of like massage her character a bit and she's a lot more tolerable I, and other than that yeah. amy acker's a pretty good actress so. i have a big old crush on amy acker uh and i did not realize she was now at the point in her career where she's playing the mom in things <laughs> uh but yeah when i saw she was in this like I, it's one of those moments where like i'm willing to give this a little more leeway amy <laughs> acker's here show me right. what you got another interesting thing about the show is that they're actually their their last name is strucker uh-huh. Which in Marvel lore is relating to Baron von Strucker, who's oh. like a Hydra Nazi guy. I but in that the X, how that how that relates to the X Men comics though is that Strucker had twin children who had mutant powers. Now in the comics, their mutant powers was that like they would activate their mutant powers if they were like touching, like, holding hands or whatever. Wonder Twin um, powers activate. Basically, a Wonder Twin situation. This is obviously taking some liberties with all of that, but still playing with the fact that. And I think the kids are twins in this too, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, it looks like they were, yeah. Um, <laughs> is, is this a Wonder know, Twin scenario? That's a question I need to ask myself a lot more often. This is a this is a Wonder Twins X Men crossover show. The, so the, the the trailer does a lot that hopefully is just kind of playing into the first episode. I don't know. I guess they could do a lot, I suppose, was just sort of like, oh, we're this family. Like, yeah, sure, the dad was working for him. Now he's not. Now they're on the run. But where is that going to lead? There's enough in the trailer that makes me interested, and I want to find out. Granted, I'm terrible at watching TV shows, so I'm saying this now, but I probably will never actually get through it. Maybe <laughs> I'll watch half the first episode. Yeah. Um, but I can at least appreciate the trailer for the fact that it has me intrigued with what they're going to try to do. And hopefully they do play up the X-Men elements because as, as as good as this, this family unit might be in sort of drawing us into the world, I hope that like they act as the gateway into this world. But as the season goes on or the series goes on, like the not maybe not as the actual X Men, but maybe X Factor or not. I guess they're making an X Force movie, but some sort of actual official mutant team comes to the forefront. Yeah, yeah. There have been a number of shows that have been about the whole family on the run or somebody on the run for blah 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 blah. So yeah, I do hope there is a bit more to it than that, uh, mm-hmm. and also a bit more to it than whatever it is you're tossing back and forth that is getting real picked up on. The- <laughs> it's cool. It's, it's happy birthday, so I let it I let it slide a little bit longer. But <laughs> uh, next time I die. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I was gonna I was gonna uh, say something about it. Whereas I feel like even like Agents of Shield kind of had that going for a little while of like we we got to be on the run. Uh, and now Inhumans has been pushed back, which we're not discussing that fully as a news story, but that's, if you didn't know, that's uh, that's happening. The Inhumans show got pushed back? Yep. Even its IMAX release? Yep. Oh, I'll find that later. Um, but, but not all things are roses. 
Dave, we have one final news story. We do have one final news story. Just kind of a uh, an update on what the fl- what's going on with that Flash movie that's supposed to be coming out in less than a year. Uh, it was originally scheduled for March 16th, 2018. However, that's been put into doubt lately as the film still does not have a director. And there has been a short list uh, which saw the names uh, Matthew Vaughn, Sam Raimi, who is reportedly passed, and Robert Zemeckis. Uh, Zemeckis and Vaughn have not yet confirmed one way or another. Uh, mm-hmm. But now reports are coming out that the film might not feature Billy Crudup anymore. Uh, Billy Crudup, for those who do not know, played Dr. Manhattan in the Watchmen <laughs> film. Uh, but within the context of this, he is playing Dr. Manhattan, who has messed with the DC. No, uh, he is playing Barry Allen's dad, uh, who is in prison. And uh, for those of you who have seen the Justice League trailer, will have seen him there uh, having a conversation with his son vis-a-vis prison phone. Uh, so, yeah, th- this film is not in a great place. And that's sad. I'm I, my, my opinion of it is they could probably get a director fairly easily uh, if they kind of went like the um, like the Marvel route of just like, you know, okay, now we're going to find someone who's going to fit easily into like what we want, like what they kind of did with Peyton Reed, uh, who, who did make a good Ant-Man film, you know, but Marvel is very controlling over kind of what their narratives are. Uh, but it feels like with sort of the negative connotation uh with DC right now, it's like they, they want like a name that people are going to recognize on this film to like, kind of get people a little bit excited about what's going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. It's, I mean, I honestly, I, I mean, they really can't wait that long, but I mean, they've got a successful flash TV show. And I think when it, when justice league finally comes out, uh, it seems like, um, the Flash in that movie, you know, I think he, it sounds like he'll be enjoyable to watch. So maybe, maybe once like we actually get a feel for him, if, if like, if assuming justice league does well, God forbid, um, that like that actually gets people excited, gets like DC to kind of focus in on as someone will actually want to tackle it. I think because of a lot of the grief and a lot of the, not necessarily bad blood is kind of the wrong term, but the, the, how skepticism, the foundation, skepticism, thank you of the current DC cinematic universe is, like a lot of people are looking like one, like one woman can not blunder. Uh, and certainly really justice can, we can. Yeah. Um, you know, in the eyes of critics, at least like the movies just can't be torn apart, you know? Um, so maybe if people see that, like the two movies this year do really well, then more directors and more actors might be willing to sign on. Cause it looks like it'll make it look like DC's course for correcting as far as like the critical reception goes. Uh, but right now, obviously, everyone's kind of like, I don't really want to like the, I can't guarantee this isn't going to ruin my career. Uh, but of course, Ezra Miller is already locked in like he has no choice. Yeah, uh, apparently Ezra Miller is a, a pretty busy guy, too, but he's got a contract. Uh, it is a bummer about Billy Crudup. Like we don't, you know, people saying he's not going to appear in the film doesn't necessarily mean that he's not going to continue being the character of Henry Allen. Do you think, though, that we can do, like, a Flash film? And obviously, I, I would probably think we can. But do you think, you know, like, this early on, could they do a Flash film without having his father be an important plot point? Well, it's not even that they, the father can be an important plot point. It just doesn't have to be Billy Crudup. Like, Billy Crudup is a, a great actor, you know, but how present is he actually going to be in the film? Like, how much of a role is it really that's another actor of equal, maybe even lesser caliber, couldn't accomplish like unfortunately you know imprisoned assuming that they they hew a bit closer to the the flash rebirth version of things where his you know his mom was murdered and his dad's in prison or his dad's already dead you know that like what 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 is he going to do also that we haven't already seen in the flash tv show yeah yeah that's that's very true it just kind of like suck that uh that obviously we're going to be seeing him in Justice League. It's like we are going to be seeing him in Justice League, um, and uh, and you know then like then if they do have to change actor, which has been done also in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so it's not like completely unheard of. I would just like really love if uh, 
if you know we see him in Justice League, it's Billy Crudup, but then in the Flash movie, uh, he's played. Well, well, man, dang it, he's no longer alive. But Michael Clark Duncan was playing Henry Allen, and just being like, just being like, prison changes a man, and and just like never like address it beyond that one line, and just have it be Michael Clark Duncan like for the rest of the all time. Oh dear, you're so digging a hole. That being said, how am I digging a hole in in Justice League? Billy Crudup's in Justice. He's in the trailer. I didn't watch the trailer. Uh, spoiler alert: Billy Crudup is in Justice League. Oh, okay. Well, that. Wait, you saw that? You watched like the first trailer. No. Uh, I haven't watched any Justice League trailers. I guess there's just the one, isn't there? Uh, there's just the one. Yeah. No, there's a scene where they're talking like on the on the phone, and there's the piece of glass between them, and they like touch hands. Oh, so they are going Billy Crudup in or Henry Allen in prison stuff. Henry Allen is in prison. Yeah. We've just seen a movie called Henry Allen in prison. Yeah, I think I really do think they could do it with without having that be a, a central storyline. Like you can have it be like a storyline, have it be like a story element, but you know, since since it's already established in Justice League, like and, and you know, I I I bet they could still get Billy Crud up to film like a few scenes. So it could be like Oh, he he's feeling real guilty because he's been taking all this time to be like a, a public superhero, so he's not going to visit his dad because he feels really bad. And then like, or they can kill him between films. <laughs> they don't need to kill Henry Allen, but I'm just saying, like, you have it like, oh, like I'm I'm really guilty. I can't visit my dad. And then like at the end of the film, you have him kind of like facing that guilt and like going to visit his dad, and they have like a two minute scene together. I I think there's ways around it. I don't and know. And then he dies. We'll see. Well, man. I don't know why he's gonna die. That's so unnecessary. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe I need to watch that Justice League trailer, it's even though I told myself good. I wouldn't. You don't. You know. You know. It's, uh, you do you, but it's pretty good. Uh, Jason Momoa is gonna steal the show, I think, in a lot of ways, mm. and uh, it's gonna be fun. But why don't we keep talking about the Flash while we dive in? to our reviews to the Batmobile let's go now in like a rare instance this isn't hasn't I don't think it's happened for a very long time we're actually going to not be discussing individual reviews uh, but we're going to be discussing two things that we have both partaken in uh, one of those I think what we'll start out with is well it's hard because we do. Do we do the Guardians of the Galaxy discussion first, or do we do the button discussion? Let's do Guardians let's, first. Do Guardians. Let's, People have already seen Guardians, so uh, yeah. So let's say one thing here: we're going to go full spoilers. If you haven't seen Guardians yet, it's been out for a couple weeks. It's made two hundred and fifty million dollars at the box office. It's your own fault if you haven't seen it. So we're just going to talk pretty candidly. I think that's fair. Uh Nick, what do you think of the movie? Um. I, I liked it. I thought that, you know, as far as sequels go, it kept a spirit of the original as far as, like, you know, the, the poppy music and the the color effects uh, or, the, like, the aesthetic, so to speak, um, without necessarily just being a complete retread. Like, even even though they had, like, it was Baby Groot this time instead of Adult Groot, you know, and he really didn't say, I am Groot that much. Like, he didn't talk that much. It was mostly just, look at me, I'm so cute. Yep. So it didn't it didn't feel like we had to get hit, because I'm literally, I'm already done with I am Groot. I'm sorry, it's just, it was annoying three seconds into the first movie. It's it's annoying now. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's different to read it than to actually hear it all the time. Even to read it, especially to read it, it's just like, everyone's already made the joke where he says, I am Groot, and you're like, yeah, politics are crazy right now. Like, Or it's get- like, yeah, it's like, I am Groot, and it's like, oh, I can't believe you said that horrible, dirty thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm done with it. I'm so done. When I first, because <laughs> I'm a pretentious hipster, when I first was introduced to, to Groot, he spoke full sentences. It was also kind of a dick, and I loved it. Um, hipster. And, and now uh, somewhere along the way, I am Groot and it was great. And then there's like, never mind. But that's not the point. Um, it was, it was a good movie. Um, I felt that there were certain issues as far as like character consistency. Drax is a big thing. This movie is only supposed to take place two months after the original. Um, and yeah, he goes from that's... being from a species of hyper literal 
like creatures to like nothing like he's tons of metaphors like everything he said was well yeah and and he's like lying to people and he's like telling jokes uh which is like fine if this had been like further down the line but like you said it's only like a little bit after the first film uh yeah and and there's another thing that someone pointed out to me online as well about drax is that at the end of the film he is like i can't be at peace until i've killed thanos and in this movie, like he doesn't mention Thanos once. The, he doesn't mention it, and I feel like the, there, there couldn't have been room for it, but they didn't want to focus on it. Um, but I, I know, like, there was the point where Mantis, like, you know, is like kind of doing an emotions read on him, and like how that, you know, as as kind of bolsterous and kind of cuckoo as Drax is being, that like he's kind of hiding a very painful interior. Um, so I think that pain goes with him through the movie. It was just that, like, despite that pain and all that, he, like, he should still be a hyper-literal creature. Like, there, two months is not that much time to override something that's, like, inherent in your species. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just sort of like, this will work better for the jokes we want to make, but it doesn't ring true for the character. Yeah. Um, yeah, him doing, like, pranks and, like, lying to Mantis, because, like, what she's going to do is going to be really funny. Like, that... Yeah, that that was all very bizarre uh, to me as well. Though at, when Drax did say, uh, "We're not friends, we're family," I leaned over to the person next to me and was like, "Am I, am I in a Fast and Furious movie, on accident?" <laughs> and then they asked me to kindly not speak to them again. Um, but I thought that was a legitimate question. What, did you did you know this person? Irrelevant to this conversation. <laughs> I wouldn't talk to you either if you tried to talk to me in a movie theater. Um, uh, well, you could thing, you could sue me like me. that one guy's doing. What? <laughs> another thing that like I on one hand like I felt like I kind of enjoyed it at the time that I was watching. Like there was funny moments, but in hindsight, I realized like I didn't really like how they played off Mantis. I just I didn't like she had a really cool visual um, and her power set was interesting. Yeah, but but the whole just like. Like, I get that there was, like, an irony to it. Like, the way that, like, Drax was, you know, talking and that they kind of played off of, like, apparently, you know, Drax, when it comes to, like, Drax's beauty standards are, like, you know, like, husky, whatever, like... Right. Strong, strong women. women. You know, um, like, he's, yeah, he's, like, he's attracted to a rock. Um, you what know, but just rock? the fact that, like, they kind of, I felt, to me, like, I, I'm sure that it was innocent intentions... But, like, in hindsight, like, they've really spent a lot of the movie just, like, berating this one character. Yeah. Like, she she, she, she wasn't really appreciated by anyone. She does, she, you know, she does, like, keep ego asleep for ten seconds at the very end. And then unceremoniously gets clocked in the head by Which debris. was the funniest part of the movie, I will contest. I <laughs> was... laughed the hardest when they have their heroic moment. The camera pans and they're all standing there looking all heroic and, and then just out of nowhere, she just gets clocked in the head and it was fantastic. And no one else in the theater was laughing as hard as I was at that. It, it was, it was funny. It was, it's funny in the way that like, like, but, uh, you know, cause it was so unexpected, but in all, but in reality, Mantis is like the Meg of the Marvel universe. Shut up, Meg. Like, uh, she was just so mistreated the whole movie. Yeah. You know, tries to be the hero, then gets knocked out and spends the rest of the climax unconscious. Yeah. I, there's a podcast I listen to called Pop Culture Happy Hour, which is a really great podcast. I think people should check it out. Um, it's an NPR show. And uh, they talked about this movie and they talked about Mantis's character and brought up uh, how she really embodies a lot of Asian stereotypes. Uh, which was very it was very interesting and and I I would agree I thought that there were some like sort of like the quiet like uh you know this is a character that doesn't really understand jokes and it's kind of like socially awkward like uh very reserved character that that, that does play into some some of these stereotypes and I yeah at, at times I don't think it really worked um I don't I don't really understand what maybe she brings to the table of the guardians of the galaxy. Uh, 
I like them expanding a bit. You know, I like that in this film, they violently expand the Guardians uh, and then at the end kind of shrink that down to there's just one new addition. Uh, but I don't really understand what she's going to do. They, they do have an opportunity in the next film to, but I, I think she'll also be in the Infinity War. Probably. Um, but like they have an opportunity to kind of, I guess in a way that they quickly adapt Jax's character, like they can do some course correction. In my opinion, I think that they need, like, it's not that like every female character or like any, you know, every male character has to be like, you know, like a, a badass action warrior star, but Mantis and the comics is actually like, you know, a badass warrior, but she's badass in the sense that like, in the way that like Gamora and Nebula are like broken, you know, shells of a person, you know, kind of crushed into the perfect weapon. Um, you know, Mantis is sort of like she's there's like a philosophical side to her warrior side, mm-hmm. which is it's different. So you, you can have different flavors of warrior and not just pure be like, ah, oh, like I don't understand. Yeah, oh my god, I'm so ugly. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And you like, have, oh my gosh, and yeah, everybody kind of on this team does have this broken quality to them. Like, yeah, you have Gamora was tormented horribly by, by Thanos, you have Drax, whose entire family was murdered, Peter Quill, who has like his, you know, what his mother died uh in front of him doesn't know who his dad is got taken by space aliens uh rocket brokenness is kind of a central theme of his character in this movie same with yondu uh yeah all of them ex- i mean except for groot i guess who's kind of the chewbacca of the film uh <laughs> but all of them yeah have this level of like being really messed up and it would have been really interesting to bring in a character who is like fairly put together into that mm-hmm. mix. Right. If there's some way that if, if she was like the most adjust, especially for someone that has control over emotions, dropping her into this very highly dysfunctional group and her sort of playing the straight man character um, mm-hmm. would have been really interesting. But I don't know. She's just like, I don't really know why I'm here. Like they're literally, we don't know why she's there. I like the theory that, that she that it's unspoken that she's technically Peter Quill's half sister. That would make you know, the most sense because you know uh, ego makes a point that like he went back to visit the worlds that you know he created children on. So why was he just visiting a random planet per se? So I mean, yeah. I guess he could have been visiting a planet to try and impregnate it and then found her. But <laughs> impregnate it's more the like planet. Let's use the planet. Yeah, let's talk about ego a bit here because obviously Marvel does not have the best track record with villains. Uh, ego, played by Kurt Russell, is the villain of the film. His plan is, uh, you know, he's a celestial. He is a living planet, so his plan was to cover a bunch of planets in some blue goo to take over them. Yeah, that part I also did. I'm starting to realize I don't know how much I actually like this movie. I, you know, no, and, and you know, here we and when we discuss movies on this podcast, we usually start off saying like we really enjoyed it. Now here's like a bunch of like attacks on it because like we could be like, oh yeah, it was really bright and colorful. Like the humor was really good. There were some really great character moments and interactions. Like there's so much about this film to enjoy, and I laughed a lot and I had a good time. Uh, but I think discussions are more interesting if we sit here and we're kind of like, okay, now, unpack it. yeah, like let's unpack what we saw more beyond than like, wasn't it really funny when he said, "I'm Mary Poppins, y'all," which it was funny. I'll... It was funny. There, there was definitely funny moments for me. It was when the movie hewed too close to like your formulaic blockbuster, like. Uh-huh. Uh, you know ego's whole thing about like i'm you know impregnating worlds so that they can become one with me or whatever like his actual shtick was was like fine but really just amounted to like we're going to do quick cuts to these different planets and have this this giant nebulous goo thing start to try and envelope everything yeah and it was just like again like the world's you know, uh, the world's, the universe is in peril now granted this is guardians of the galaxy like they should be They're operating on a higher scale the galaxy yeah uh, but at the same time, it's like, what am I trying to say? Like, if this was like the the only series doing it, so to speak, I realize it's not realistic. But like, in a line of movies where they're constantly saving the world, it's just like felt like, yeah, okay, this again. It's yeah. Uh, I have a, I have a couple thoughts on that. One, I, I kind of want to hear back to you. Said like, 
when the movie got too close to a particular to it being a typical blockbuster. But I do thought there were some really great times where they subverted that, uh, where like in the opening scene where it's like there's this big battle happening, and instead of focusing on the battle, you have Baby Groot dancing around, which is this very cute scene, and we still get to see the fight. But it's like we're not just going to focus on like the action or like at the climax of the film when there is this like space battle going on outside. Uh, we're focused on Rocket and Baby Groot uh, instead of like because, like, you know, we've seen ships shooting lasers at one another a hundred times. Like this is something that, you know, we, we see, we know. So let's go ahead and have a little bit of fun with it instead. Um, yeah. So like you were saying about uh Oh man! Uh, so kind of the, this this blue goo trying to take over planets. Um, I remember hearing somebody put it really well. Like when you see the blue beam to the sky, you know the heroes are gonna win because like obviously the Earth's not gonna get destroyed. Also within the MCU, we know the Earth's not gonna get destroyed. It's like when the stakes feel really personal is when things work really well. Like that's why Logan worked so well because the stakes are a few kids getting across the border to Canada. Yeah. It's not, it's not like, Oh, uh, if we don't stop this, the whole world's going to suffer. It's like, if those kids don't get across the border to Canada, the world goes on. Like really nothing major happens, but we're like very personally connected into what's going on there. And so it feels really heavy. Right. Uh, and like, this is like, yeah, Oh man, I don't want earth to get, it's, it's sort of the same problem that, uh, the last, like, Mass Effect, uh, I'm saying last Mass Effect because I, I don't really consider Andromeda to be a Mass Effect game. So, But Mass Effect 3 is like, oh man, the Earth's in trouble. Uh, and the only reason that you should care about that is because it's the Earth. Where like in the game, you haven't really spent any time in on Earth. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's like, they're just like, they're just expecting you to have this connection because it's Earth and that's where you live. Right. Yeah, and I mean, this movie does, in a sense, make it personal because the fight is between Peter and his father. Yeah. You know, the, the ultimate battle. But it's just, and I don't know. It Now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like the movie was kind of sloppy. I hate to be super critical. No, um, it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine to have these revelations. I still... I definitely need to see it again. Because, like, it, watching it, I did enjoy a lot of parts of it as far as just, like, the initial visceral reaction to it. Yeah. Just, I think, I feel like structurally now, the more I think about it, especially discussing it, I'm just like, why did they do that? <laughs> like, they could have done some... Like, the whole... Okay, so, yes, Peter, you know, is the son of a god, basically, uh, and he has these special powers that he, you know, he makes a ball, which I think they did kind of comment on that. Like, what did you do? I made a ball. Oh, okay. Oh, that's it. Yeah. You know, and then it turns again, like it, the problem with these, especially with these movies, maybe because they take out play, take place in space, but like it was such a, a visual cluster um, at the, in the climax, because like you have all the sovereign ships in there, you've got egos, internal organs flopping around, and then you've got like Peter doing Super Saiyan at <laughs> Ego. Um, but like the but when it got to that CGI, it just it just kind of like to me it was falling apart. I was just like I've seen this all before. Like the colors are fine, but they're so overwhelming, mm-hmm. you can't get a handle on the visuals. And while it was trying to make a personal connection because it was ultimately between Peter and his dad, like it just. It just it was too much in in your face. Like there was next to no practical sets in the movie. Uh, it seemed like I, I could be wrong. It's not like I've done a background check on this, but like this the inundation of CGI to visual to realize this world. As, and when it gets all of the action scenes, it was just it was too chaotic for me. Yeah, I felt uh, something. I felt like the action scenes were actually lacking a little bit, uh, which this movie had a twenty million less budget than the first one, and I think kind of that is that the action scenes were not as big and bombastic. Um, there's a lot of slow motion too, uh, which I, I noticed a lot throughout this film. Um, any anyway, uh, I'm. You know, we're kind of just wrapping up some final thoughts here. Uh, Adam Warlock is going to apparently be the villain of Guardians of the, Guardians of the Galaxy Three. Uh, is he going to be the villain or just a character in the film? Uh, they they seem he's be... not. He's not a villain. Oh, he's not technically a villain in the comics. He's a hero, but he has a dark side called Magus. Right. I guess. I guess they just kind of played up. I was like, that's what the Sovereign are going to send against him. Um, right. And I thought, man, and I thought too. Like that's one thing I was disappointed about. Is this film takes place almost entirely on Ego's planet, uh, 
where in the first one, we kind of bounced around some of the worlds a bit and got to see like the universe and there was like nowhere, which was like really cool. Um, and I can't remember where it was like, like Nova prime, Xandar, like some really like, uh, interesting stuff. And like this film was mostly on one planet. And I thought like some of the times it did shine, uh, where when things were kind of bouncing around a little bit, like when we saw the, the, uh, Ravagers on that like one planet that Sylvester Stallone was on, which I actually liked Sylvester Stallone's character uh, in this film, which was odd. Uh, yeah, I think it needs if in the third one, I think it needs a little bit more space exploration to it, because um, that's where not, I, I think it you get you get some variety and, and a lot of fun in that. Yeah, but another thing I'm also thinking about, I'm being super critical of this movie all of a sudden, that's but cool. um, like. Did they ever make a comment like, is everyone using universal translators because everyone you know, speaks English? I was thinking about this today. I was thinking about this today. Uh, and it's really funny because I just had to kind of be like, nah, like that. You don't, it, it's not worth it to get hung up on that because that happens in a lot of sci-fi films. And it's like, yeah, you could just be like, oh, there's a translator. Cool. Whatever. But like, really, is it that big of a deal? It ruined the movie for me. Okay. Anyway. No, it did. It did. But it, just, it was. It was just the more I thought about. It, I was like, that's that's weird. That everyone knows English out in space. Yeah. It's, it's got to be universal translators because it's the only way they can cut it. Like, why yeah. would? Oh, it's so weird how that tree person walks around. Oh, it's so weird how that, that raccoon. That, that you can. You know, I I hate when people use that argument because like there's certain elements of suspension of disbelief, but then there's things that like. Like, there's the explanation is that he's a tree person because he's an alien. Like, he's a different type of being. But something like language is completely different. Like, there needs to be a reason why everyone in the galaxy no, is doesn't. speaking a language that's only found on one planet. No, there doesn't. It's yes. fine. Uh, one thing, too. Well, you want to know why it's in English? Because it was a movie made for audiences that speak English. Spoiler alert. Uh, so, you know, just go ahead and handle that. Uh, one thing I didn't... Also, I didn't like Peter Quill using the phrase trash panda because I think that's like a current way that we refer to raccoons. I don't know if they were using that in the 80s when he was still on Earth. Somebody who was alive remembers the 80s very well. Please feel free to correct me. Heck at comics at gmail.com. Uh, but that just felt like a modern reference, which like Peter Quill shouldn't get those because he doesn't understand that zoons aren't a thing. Uh Ultimately, you know, we've got to discuss. Uh, okay, I loved the Zune. Oh, really? Part. That's something I didn't love all that much. <laughs> I thought it was okay. It was fine. Um, just because yeah. I haven't thought about Zunes in a decade or whatever. Right, just, exactly. Just... Which is the, the the joke there. You put like three hundred songs on it. <laughs> yeah, right. And it still works. That's the. It's still getting updates out here. What the heck? Uh, ultimately, I will say I did enjoy the film. I think Nick did as well. It's just you know he just needs to watch it again uh i think though would you agree not as good as the first one interesting um i'd have to watch the first one again too all right i well guess then. the first one i guess the first one is better um but i i, I will say that i like that overall that this at, at the at the end of the day this movie tried to not necessarily let's just be a repeat be it, of the right. first one yeah, yeah it took some common themes and elements and aesthetics but told a completely different story with different stakes other than the freaking okay you have the like three billion nova ships in the climax of the last one now you have three billion sovereign ships on this one like, again it's which like make the spectacle, our, the spectacle which make arcade noises uh but that was kind of funny yeah yeah i actually laughed at that part as well but for the sake of time um we will just say if you haven't seen this film yet i will say do go see it it is a movie that should be seen on a big screen because it is a spectacle uh, and I did like it. And we could talk about this movie for the next 10 minutes before getting to the end of the show. But before we get to the end of the show, we need to spend some time discussing Flash 22, the button conclusion uh, in which Batman and the Flash finally finish chasing down Eddie Thawne uh, and find what's at the end of that path. Which, as it turns out, uh, and you know, yes, I'm going to be spoiling a little bit here, uh, just for the sake of discussion, is Jay Garrick, uh, who the Flash is not able to pull back into their own timeline because he doesn't have as a strong enough tie to Jay Garrick, apparently. So someone else has to bring Jay Garrick back. 
Uh, and we also get our hint of what this whole doomsday clock thing is going to be that we talked about earlier, Batman versus Dr. Manhattan. Superman um, versus Dr. Superman. Manhattan. Who did I say? Batman? See, that's... Batman. Which yeah. Batman would probably win. Well, Batman... But. Yeah, and like Batman is the one you feel like they would go with with popularity, which is why I actually really love that it's going to be Superman because he is like the heart of DC and like the hope of the DC universe. But let's talk about the button uh nick what have your thoughts been on this storyline overall the nothing against the flash issues i've found the tom king batman issues to be the strongest between the two um but overall and maybe it's the elevation of the batman issues that are impacting my judgment like it's it's a nice tight little event it keeps like even though it's dealing with a cosmic scale this is where like it where where we talk about things that are personal to the characters um, you know, it's just about Batman and the Flash. It takes elements from both of theirs, like tying in like Batman and the Flashpoint history, and Flash and Jay Garrick and and Reverse Flash, and you know, obviously also pushing pushing along the Watchmen, you know, beats. Um, but it's just about two guys who are friends and colleagues trying to solve a mystery, and how that gets tied in with some like deeply personal family stuff. It's. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's it was good it was good I, yeah. if, if like doomsday clock can be this then you know i think i think dc's not like like this was four issues doomsday clocks is gonna doomsday clock is gonna be four issues like i kind of like this like if done well these tight four issue events that don't pull any crossover watered down crossover issues from other titles or anything it's just like we've got this you know the story that's like small and tight but it's got big ramifications and we're gonna tell it yeah, yeah, it, it is annoying when it's like I'm reading Howard the Duck and they're like, oh, hey, and uh, by the way, if you want to get the rest of the story, go read Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, uh, which comes out later this month. Just like seemingly out of nowhere just to try to boost some sales. Where like this felt necessary uh, with like the meta narrative they're trying to tell. This didn't feel like, hey, we're trying to boost Flash sales. We're trying to boost Batman sales. Like those books don't need boosting in the sales. It's just like, hey, the story we want to tell works really well with these two characters, uh, and it's totally worth bouncing between the two books to to get uh, fully what's going on. I love, uh, first of all, the art in this book is real great. Um, I but I really loved that Eddie Thon is still trying to find ways to screw up Flash's life. he's like i killed your mom that didn't work i saved your mom that didn't work so now i'm gonna go back in time i'm gonna kill your mom then i'm gonna raise you as my own child uh and we'll see how that plays out which actually is a really interesting idea that i'm kind of super into Uh, i want to see that right it would be yeah that's that's worth having another flashpoint event just for that um but I I just have to say overall this like you said just a really strong personal heavy event like at the end of this issue you have uh Bruce Wayne looking out at uh at the city of Gotham and the the signal goes up and his father's last words to him are playing again don't be batman find happiness you don't have to do this for me uh do don't do it for your mother let the Batman die with me. And you have Alfred walk up to him and say, you know, sir, are you going to answer that? And Bruce Wayne looks down at the floor in contemplation. Like, like, yeah, he's going to go out there and he's going to be Batman because that's like who he is. But in this moment, I don't, a moment of doubt. I don't know if he is like, and it, and it, it, it feels really real. Right. And that's, and that's, that's the tough, that, that is the thing where like, your your father you know and the the way that that they write off the flashpoint universe is that this isn't it's not an alternate they said like an alternate history but that like this is the same thomas wayne that died in the alley that became that in his in his version of history becomes batman but like it is actually bruce's father so to like have that like that moment to have your father you know sort of not not in in a sense invalidate your mission is Batman by saying, don't do that. You don't need that. You need to raise your son properly. Uh, can you imagine Bruce just being like, all right, guys, like I had a talk with my dad and he said, like, I should really quit this. Did you? Oh, I'm, I'm going to stop. Uh, and Damien, you can't be Robin anymore. Yeah, Damien, Damien would, would not, Damien would not go along with that at all. Yeah. 
Um, but like, yeah, that, that moment where he just kind of looks down, like he's not going to answer it. Cause I, I'm like thinking about, it, I was like, well, I know there's a bat, like a Batman number 23 that's coming out like this week or next week or something. This week. Uh, th- this week. And, uh, um, you know, like he's kind of have to be Batman in that. But I, I, it, what it, no, what it speaks volumes of is that like your own father who you, who you're seeing as like a mirror image of yourself tells you like this only brings you to ruin. And even though like we're seeing Bruce have this moment of doubt, we know that it was, it's not enough to make him stop. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. It's, uh, it, this is crossover event storytelling done right. Uh, not to say like, not to say you can't do like a big scale event that doesn't have like these really great stakes and these really great moments. But I just, I think for this one, what made it work so well is because it was so small and like very important. Yes. But like they've really, they just honed in on these two characters in such a great Mm -hmm. way. Uh, Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sad the button is over, but I also feel very satisfied. Like I'm, I'm sad because it was so good. Uh, but I'm very satisfied with what we got, and I'm I'm really excited for Doomsday Clock now and what that means, and to see Bat or man, I almost said it again, uh, to see Superman get involved in what's going on and how he's going to react to that because like, yeah, the Flash like is hopeful, but like there's this even brings up in this issue that uh, him and Bruce have suffered some like very similar tragedies, and there is kind of like a cynicism that haunts them. Where it's like now you're gonna have Superman come in, who is the optimism, and like, what's that going to look like meeting this force? Right, but even uh, Barry makes a point. Like Bruce, Bruce kind of talks about how like this whole experience was cruel, and Barry's like, "No, I see it as a gift." Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Which was they are nice. very they do handle things a bit differently. Well, that uh, is going to do it for our show. And thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Uh, of course, before we leave, we always have to ask ourselves an important question. You boys aren't nerds, are you? We are nerds, and we're going to recommend nerdy things. Nick, do you have a recommendation, or do you want me to start this off? I want you to start it off, like always. You just do such a good job at the beginning. Well, thank you. My recommendation this week is an NPR quiz show called Ask Me Another Uh, The reason I'm recommending this is that tomorrow night I'm actually going to be attending this quiz show with the possibility of being on it. I'm an alternate, so I'm not holding my breath. Uh, But more importantly, it is actually a really fun show that comes out every week. They don't always have new episodes, but uh, they have a lot from the back catalog they'll throw in there. They're fun games that they don't require you to know, like, deep historical facts or news to, to be able to get them. It's like you can know movie stars and pop culture and and still play along with it. And there's a, a bit of humor and fun uh, all throughout that without feeling pretentious. Um, ask me another. Uh, and to give it some nerdy cred, Jonathan Colton, uh, who sang the Still Alive song at the end of Portal, uh, is the house musician and he's in every episode and it's 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 yeah it's just a nerdy fun time if you enjoy puzzles and quizzes uh this is a show for you ask me another by npr excellent david i really appreciate making a recommendation for everyone uh this time and i was moving over the last week so i haven't uh that's my excuse this week next week will be that i'd You've, you know, got, yeah. got a new job or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have recommendations this week. I'm going to be fully honest. What about that? I what will... about that burger you ate? Recommend that burger right now. All right, that's fair. I went to this place called the Yard House. I don't know if oh, it's uh, just a local change. Okay, the, then they have them all over. Yeah. I, I went to a place called the Yard House. Uh, you know, kind of a bar, pub, you know, whatever. Probably not a pub, more of just like a bar, like a sports bar type environment. Yeah. Um, and I ordered a black truffle cheeseburger. And it was delicious. Excellent. So, so if you like black truffle cheese or burgers, which I think black truffle is cheese, but whatever. Um, black truffle is not cheese. Well, it's called a black truffle cheeseburger, and it oh, said a black truffle cheese in the thing. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, there's a black truffle cheese, but black truffles themselves are not a cheese. You're a cheese. Um, if anyone else thinks so, please let us know at heckyeatcomics at gmail.com. Uh, and David, take away the sign off. 
Well, uh, man, it's awkward because you, you kind of took over part of that. All right. Anyway, you can find us over at heckyacomics.com. You can always reach us by email for whatever purposes at heckyacomics at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at heckyacomics. You can find me uh, around the internet under the username DavLuz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. And you can find Nick attempting to learn how to sniff out truffles from a pig because he just can't let this whole truffle cheese thing go. And of course, you can find this show here next week, same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. Until then, goodbye. Worst episode ever.